Our Bible reading for our first sermon in the series, Follow Me, comes from 2 John 1 to 4. And it says this The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. The story goes, there is a a freshman, you can rewind the, the slide one. There's a story, there's a freshman that was going out for track. And he wanted to do this to please his father. His dad was, back in the day, a state champion um, track miler, the one mile. And so the son went out for track, and he, he tried out for the mile. He went up against the number one varsity runner, a senior, and they had a race one-on-one in their first practice, the freshman and the senior. Uh, this freshman got beat terribly. It wasn't even close. He didn't want to disappoint his dad, and so he texted his dad, Good news! I ran against Bill Williams, the school's fastest miler. He came in second to last, I came in second. (laughs) The truth. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? It's easily manipulated, and and, uh, we like to kind of bend the truth in our favor. There's lots of different examples of this. Um, This last week, I was reading a blog by a Christian, and the Christian um, said that he was going to give up sweets for the entire year. That was his resolution in 2018. But, he said, he's going to use the Gregorian calendar to start his resolution, and he's going to use the liturgical calendar to end it. And if you know the liturgical calendar of the church year, it ends around Thanksgiving time. So he was trying to allow himself Thanksgiving and Christmas to eat all the sweets that he wants to. But, you know, it sounds good that he gave up sweets for the entire year, but what year are you talking about? Um, We have even gotten into the culture today um, to believe news and to rank news. We call it fake or we call it real. And whether we like the news that comes across our feed, the headline, we'll, t- we'll almost immediately say, I like that news and I'm going to believe that is truth or I'm not going to like that news because I don't believe it is truth. The truth is a tricky thing. Even in 21st century America, we're having a hard time agreeing on what is truth, agreeing on our news sources. And it goes on and on. In the postmodern world that we live in, the thought is this. Nobody can really know the truth. I mean, you might believe something and know it for true, and I might believe something and know it for true, but there's really no absolute truth at all. And this is a problem that we come across as Christians living in this world today, too, that believe in the truth. John, who writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the Gospel of John, says no less than five times in the first four verses of 2nd John that the truth is a, a real thing. And that the truth is a driving thing, that it's something that is in us. And in a minute, we're going to talk about how personal the truth really is and how it lives in us and how it works in us and how it's a gift of God. Um, But as we open the series called Follow Me, let's get a background to what the books of 2nd and 3rd John are all about. John is a disciple of Jesus. Um, He's a relative of Jesus. 
He's one of the closest disciples. In fact, uh, he's in the inner circle, we say, of Jesus' disciples that had special access to events in Jesus' ministry, like the transfiguration when Jesus showed himself as God to his uh, inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And then he was there, the only recorded disciple at the cross who hung in there all the way and saw his Savior, Jesus, uh, crucified and didn't run away. And so you have to understand John and his mindset that he believes in Jesus and he believes that truth is a real thing. In fact, at the end of his life, he did ministry, and this is where this letter comes in, to the people of Asia Minor. And he writes to them to encourage them in the truth of Jesus Christ. And even when John's feet are put to the fire, when the government said, stop preaching about this and this whole Jesus movement is something that they wanted to squash, John said, no, I can't. Jesus has died. He rose again. I was a witness to this. He ascended into heaven, and I can't back down on the truth. In fact, I'm going to put my life out there on the line and continue to preach the gospel. He did, and you know what happened to him at the end of his life? He was exiled for the truth and on an island in Patmos. This is the John that we're talking about, the John who did mission work after Jesus, who wrote these letters, and then he ultimately gave up his life like all the other followers of Jesus because they were so convinced that the truth was in Jesus and with Jesus that they couldn't help but talk about it. And he says to, and he's the elder here, an elder is a word for a pastor, he says to the lady chosen, the lady here, uh, some scholars say was an individual, like some sort of royalty that he was writing to, um, but other people, and maybe the better interpretation is that the lady is a group and a body of believers, like we're a body of believers here at Holy Word, just a group of people that he's writing this letter to that would have been passed around to all of the churches. We know that they're believers because they're chosen by God, and so that's the audience that he's writing to. They're chosen by God. He's a pastor in their life, and you hear about the affection that he has to, for them, for, for them and for all their children. That means for all, all the people that are among them whom he loves in truth. And like I mentioned earlier, if we want to understand what the truth is and how the truth works in us, take a look at all of the ways that he talks about truth. You can go to the next slide now. Look at the verbs that he uses with the truth. He loves them with truth. Love. He knows that they know the truth. Living in the truth. And then verse 4, walking in the truth. The word in the Greek for walking in the truth means making every decision in your life about the truth. And the way that he talks about the truth isn't so much as a head knowledge, like facts that you learn in school, like George Washington was the first president of the United States. You never knew George Washington. You, don't, you just know this fact to get an A on the test. It's, it's not that kind of knowing. In fact, even the word to know here means to experience life with somebody, not to know head facts, to get to know someone, ginosko in the Greek. Like you get to know me because we spend time together and our families spend time together and we share in births and we share in deaths and you get to know me, yet you know Dan as a pastor because you went to the website, but when you really get to know Dan, you get to know something completely different about that person. And the interesting thing is, is that John is talking about truth like a personal relationship, like a friend. Like somebody that you get to know and that you get to know so closely and intimately that it drives your entire perception in your, your entire life. You walk in the truth. This, this is a friend of yours. And, by, and, and you've known truths growing up. And you've gotten to love truths growing up. Since the time that you were a little toddler, you've had parents 
teaching you truths. You form truths by nature inside of you. You've deciphered growing up, going through school, going through college, in your career, what's true and what's not true. And it becomes a friend of yours. You make decisions about who you're going to hang out with because of truth. You're going to make decisions about who you vote for because of truth. You're going to stand in judgment of your friend's Facebook posts because you have this body of truth that you've built up and you live with and you walk around with your entire life. It's true. Truth is a friend and it's a personal friend because it drives everything in our life. Truth is a friend with whom you do life. But the problem is we are terrible friends of truth. We are bad friends of truth, even though the truths are out there and truisms are out there. Um, this happened at the fall. At the fall of man, at the beginning of time, we had a relationship with God, and God knows all the truth. And we had this relationship with him that completely trusted him to give us truth. And do you know what we as individually and as a human race did at the beginning of time? We said to God... When we took the fruit away, we said, God, what you say isn't true. I'm going to be the judge of truth. And instead of you telling me what is true, and God is God. He knows all things. He's omnipotent. He's, um, he, he, he sees all. He knows all. He knows what's true and not true. We said, we're taking that power away, and we're going to take it into our own life. And I, Dan, am going to make the decisions about what's right and what's wrong. And I, Dan, am going to, to say, you're wrong and I'm right. You see, we're going to become terrible judges of truth. And I'm going to give you two examples. The first example is a woman who believes all men are pigs. And in general, she believes that they're irredeemable. She's thrown herself into a relationship after relationship in her life hoping that there's something redeemable in men, but she keeps throwing herself into these terrible relationships where the men are abusive, the men are demeaning, and she can't help herself, but she, she's formed a truth in her mind that all men are irredeemable. Where did she come to that truism? She never had a father that loved her. She was looking for love in a way that the man wouldn't give her, and she, she ingrained herself in a tribe of men that were generally all pigs. Now, is that true, that all men are pigs and irredeemable? No, it isn't. But that's only one half of the world that she saw. She saw the worst side of that world of men. She never saw or had a father that was loving. She never knew a man that would care for her that in a real way and treat her like a human being. But now, in her mind, she walks around with this perception she talks with this perception. She loves or doesn't love, depending on this perception of truism in her life. And her life is driven by this fact in her mind, this truth, that all men are pigs and irredeemable, and all they do is look out for themselves. Do you see how a truism in our life doesn't actually tell us the whole thing, but we skew truth in our own minds because we live in a broken world where, yes, there are some men that are pigs, the other example is a man, and this man, he has a burning heart for justice, and he hates to see sin in this world, and so he makes every effort to point out sin in other people's lives, to berate people online or on Facebook about the gay pride parade or about living in drunkenness or debauchery. He, he's the first one on the scene every time that there's a sin and he's the first one to point it out and say that they're going to hell. 
Is that true that sin is bad and it condemns you? Yes. But what has he missed out on in his entire life? He's living in home with a terrible home situation and he's trying to project onto other people to make himself feel better because his marriage is in shambles and it's only being held together because he's threatening, he's threatening her with God's justice if she would divorce him. He's living with a partial truth. And here's why we're so terrible at truth, because we're sinful. We live in a broken world where we only get half the truth. None of us can see everything. And then we play games, and we kind of skew it, kind of like that, um, that freshman that was texting his dad. We try to skew the truth in our favor by nature ever since we've left God at the garden. So, whether you find yourself with him, the self-righteous man, or whether you find yourself with her, um, the woman that sees all men as irredeemable, or whether you find yourself somewhere in between, the fact is we're all lost because we don't have a full picture of truth. There's this proverb, I love it. Um, It's so true, that's what proverbs are, they're truisms. It says, there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Um, First of all, whoever you are, whether you're uh, good or bad or the Dalai Lama psychiatrist, you cannot fully know truth because no one has fully disclosed it to you. You're just a human being. And second, when you discover something true, you're probably going to slant it completely in your favor. But here's where grace comes in. Grace is how God spells truth. John writes, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. The Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. This week we talk about that first one in the last three words in that highlighted section, truth. Next week we'll talk about love. But what John is saying is this. If you really want to understand truth, and you understand that you and I are such bad arbiters of truth, we can't understand it at all, you have to look vertically to find truth, at least the truth that matters in this world. And you're going to find truth when you find God, and when you find God, you're going to find what? Grace, mercy, and peace. And that is true. And when and how do you meet grace, mercy, and peace? You have to meet the object of the entire Bible, Jesus. When you meet Jesus, and you're the woman that has thrown herself into relationship after relationship and relationship, and you've come to the conclusion that men are worthless. He comes to you at a well. He just wants a drink of water. And you're amazed because there's a man at this well that speaks to you like a human being. Not like any other man that just uses you for your body. But he spoke to this woman like a real person. And he says, do you want to know the truth? then drink from me. Have mercy, have forgiveness, have everything that I can give to you because I am the truth, everything about it. And she's amazed and he says, go and sin no more and she's freed because of forgiveness. That's truth. The first time that that woman meets Jesus is the first time she meets grace, the first time she realizes that men are redeemable. In fact, all people are redeemable. Not because of your age or your race or anything else or... Your, your, your record in the past, but when you meet Jesus, you meet the truth because he gives full disclosure. That's what that word means, truth, 
in the Greek. If you're taking notes, it's alithia. And it means full disclosure. That's really what that word means. When you meet Jesus and you're a self-righteous man that's pointing out sin in other people's life, Jesus comes to your dinner party. You invited him to your dinner party because you thought that he was a really good teacher and he would bump up your status in front of all of your friends if you gave him the best seat. But then in the middle of the dinner party, with truth sitting at the table with you, a woman who has lived her life completely in sin walks into the dinner party with all of your self-righteous friends, all the friends and you that would point at her and say, sinner and damned and go away. And she begins to wash his feet with her hair and with expensive perfume. And you, and you condemn her and say, what, what place does she have with this great teacher? And Jesus says this, her sins, many of them are forgiven. While you, as you sit there at the table, need to think about the sin that's going on inside of you that you don't want revealed. <laughs> that's full disclosure. That's the truth and grace and love that I want to know because it's not biased. It's being back in the garden and, and Jesus is the one that says, <laughs> I'm giving the truth back to you. I'm giving you a relationship with me. And finally, the truth is this, that he would go to the cross die for you, completely take away your sins so that whoever you are, the woman, the man, anywhere in between, we're all sinners, that he would give you grace and truth. What are we going to do with the truth now that we have it in Jesus? We're going to look at what John says. We're going to love the truth. We're going to live the truth. We're going to know the truth. And we're going to walk with it. Live out the truth in light of forever. First of all, in closing, John, the elder, is writing to these people, writing to believers, and do you see his affection that he has for them? He says, I, as a shepherd of you, as your flock, I love you. I love you in the truth. Have you ever thought about how your pastor here locally or your spiritual guide in your life loves you enough to come to you and to say, you're broken. You messed up. It's gonna be, it's gonna, you're going to have to be brave to have somebody in your life like that to speak the truth to you. But when that person speaks the truth to you and says you're broken, you've messed up, they're saying it to you like John is speaking to them because he loves them in the truth. And we're going to talk about love next week. But the truth is being spoken. And if a pastor or a friend confronts you in the truth, they're doing it because they care for your soul and they want to get you to the well. They want to get you to the table where Jesus is sitting because Jesus is the truth. Now here's what's going to take even more guts. It's the next part. It's walking in the truth with one another. Number one, are you going to allow somebody into your life that speaks the truth or are you going to push them away? And number two, are you going to disclose your sin to another person? That's what's really going to take guts when you follow Jesus. You can follow him and you can pretend like you're following him and yet still live in sin. But to really walk in the truth means that you're going to want to open up yourself and to say, there's somebody that God put in my life, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a parent or whether it's even a child that I can talk to about this. Am I going to be brave enough to say, I am the self-righteous one. I am the one that looks at other people as irredeemable and I struggle with that. Will you help me? It's going to take an intentional part on, on you as a forgiven child of God, 
to say, I need somebody in my life and I'm going to open up to that person in my life because I am so terrible at discerning the truth. A freshman runner skews the truth in his favor. A woman, a man, skews the truth in their favor. But when you encounter Jesus, remember this, God spells truth grace. He forgives you, he gives you truth, and then he leads you in that truth so that you can follow him because he's given everything to you forever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we go forward in this series and as we listen to your words from Second John this morning, help them take root in us. Uh, we fail so often to discern the truth, and in the past we've, we've skewed it in our favor. And uh, we, we have sinned. We're asking for your forgiveness. Now help us to walk in truth. Thank you for leaders like John that love the flock and pastors and spiritual guides in our life, in the home and at our church. Help them to speak the truth, to confront us with the truth, and also with love that we'll hear about next week. In Jesus' name that we ask all of this, we pray. Amen.